Are you ready for the word? Uh, ten of you. So which ten? Let me know the ten that are ready because those are the ones I want to speak to. The other people. <laughs> okay. Amen. We're here and we want to speak the word of God. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. Anybody here has a problem with, uh, from time to time with unbelief? If you do, from time to time, you have a problem with unbelief. Just raise your hand. Okay, kind of wonder. All right. Any of you have a problem with telling the truth? <laughs> because all of you who didn't raise your hand, because, uh, okay, let me make it easy. Let me confess my sin. I, Bishop Darlington G. Johnson, senior pastor of this church, presiding prelate of Harvest Intercontinental Ministries Unlimited, I confess I have a problem from time to time with that thing called unbelief. Amen? I confess there are times my faith wavers. I know God can do all things, but I look at certain circumstances that I'm facing as an individual or maybe the church is facing, and I'll lie to you if I would say to you that my mind is fully at peace and I don't wonder sometimes and question sometimes and even become a little bit discouraged. And maybe not a little bit, sometimes a lot discouraged. Now, now that I've made my confession, let's see if more people will confess with me. <laughs> Amen. But here's the reality. We do all struggle with faith. Amen. There are times we feel our faith is strong, and then there are times we don't feel our faith is strong. And sometimes for the same thing, sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. And so I want to talk to you about the unbelief problem. Because it's a problem that, if we're honest, we're dealing with. There's a scripture in Mark chapter 9. I believe it begins at verse 17, if I remember correctly. But there is a story of this boy who has this epileptic, or he suffers from epilepsy, but it's caused by demons. And from a child, these demons would try to destroy the young boy, would throw him into the fire, or throw him into the water to try to burn him or drown him. And everything his parents had tried to do had failed. Nothing had worked. And he was in a desperate situation, because you imagine seeing your child going through that, and you can't help him or her. That was the situation that day. Now, he took his son to Jesus' disciples and, and asked them to help his son. And the disciples, obviously, based upon the story, attempted. They tried to cast out the devil. They tried to heal him, but they didn't succeed. And so the problem wasn't solved. In the meantime, Jesus was on the mountain. He had taken three of his disciples Peter, James, and John, to the high mountain to pray. He wanted to reveal something special to them, and they needed to be alone for that revelation. So he took them away from the rest of the disciples up on the mountain, and while on the mountain, the Bible says, they saw him transfigure before them. A great light shone from heaven. And then they saw not only Jesus, they saw Elijah, and they saw Moses. And they were so over come and overwhelmed by what they were saying. They said, Lord, it's good that we're here. Let's build three tabernacles. One for you, one for 
Moses and one for Elijah. And the Bible says even while they were speaking, God the Father didn't even let them complete their statement. He interrupted. God didn't have any manners that day. He interrupted and said, this, speaking of Jesus, this one, <laughs> I like that. This one is my beloved son. From henceforth, he's the one you need to hear. No disrespect to Moses, no disrespect to Elijah, but this is the one who's my beloved son. They are prophets, but this one is the beloved son. Hear ye him. And as soon as they heard the voice, the Bible says the disciples fell on their face. They were terrified and they were trembling. Jesus reached down and picked them up, and Moses and Elijah had disappeared. God removed them so that Peter, James, and John can see only Jesus. <laughs> oh, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that Peter, James, and John can see only Jesus. Let me tell you, that's, that's still the same. God wants us to see only Jesus. Why? Because in Jesus, you will find everything you need. Amen. In Jesus, you will find the perfect revelation of God. In Jesus, you will find the perfect provision of God. In Jesus, you find everything. And in Jesus, you find even faith. You find in Jesus the help you need for unbelief. So, Jesus then comes down from the mountain and he sees the commotion and a lot of people gather together and he walks towards the crowd and when he does that the Bible tells us the father of this young boy sees Jesus and he runs to Jesus and he said Lord if you can do anything please have compassion please have mercy on my son and heal him and then Jesus says oh you faithless generation he says, bring the boy to me. And the boy was brought to Jesus. And Jesus spoke to the demon. But before speaking to the demon, Jesus asked the father, how long has the devil been in him? How long has this been happening? And the father said, from a child. And the scripture says, Jesus rebuked the demon. Uh, in one version, in the other version, I think it's in Matthew. Matthew says, Jesus charged the demon to leave and not to return. But he spoke, he commanded the demon not only to leave, but not to return. Because Jesus knew they go and they can come. So you see, when, when you're dealing with spiritual things, you've got to be accurate, huh? So if Jesus had said, go, and not say, don't come back, they would obey him to go, but he didn't say, don't come back, so they can come back. But Jesus, knowing their behavior, said, go and don't come back. You know, we need to learn from that. You know, we need to learn from that. You know, we speak to pain and we say, pain, go. Say, pain, don't come back. Amen. To, the, to the degree that we know how these things behave, we should speak specifically and directly. We don't understand everything, but obviously this is important, and so we need to do that. All right? So Jesus came, he spoke to the devil, and the Bible says the thing left, 
and the board dropped down. And for a while, they thought he was dead, but he wasn't dead. Jesus reached down and raised him up, and God had healed him. All right? But when Jesus came down, and, and this man turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, please, if you can, please, if you can do anything, please help this young boy. Please help my son. Jesus' response was, Jesus response was if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Say that. All things are possible to him who believes. By the way, I suggest to you, Jesus was primarily referring to himself. If you can, Jesus said, all things are possible. He who believes, and I'm the one who believes. <laughs> You're looking at the one who believes perfectly. And all things are possible to me. So no, you don't need to say, if you can, I am the one whose faith is perfect. All things are possible. And the minute Jesus said that, the, 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 the father turned to Jesus, Lord, I believe. And then he said, but Lord, help my unbelief. He was honest. He was honest. He knew that his faith wasn't perfect. That his faith was not fully developed. He knew that as he contemplated the condition of his son for all these years, he understood that it was hard to believe perfectly for that miracle. So he said, Lord, I believe, but where I come short, Lord, help my unbelief. We all admit it, those of us who are honest. We believe, but Lord, we need help with our unbelief. So this man actually prayed. He said, Lord, help my unbelief. Now, the disciples also, after Jesus had delivered the boy, the disciples said, Lord, why couldn't we heal him? And Jesus, without hesitation, said, it's because of your unbelief. So the father had an unbelief problem. The disciples had an unbelief problem. We know all of the onlookers and, and scribes and those who are looking also had an unbelief problem. I'm going to share with you three quick lessons about unbelief that we can learn from this story. One, all of us, every human being, has an unbelief problem. That's one of the consequences of the fall. Our faith is not yet perfect. We need help with unbelief. Are you hearing me? The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have. I know from experience that not only have I fallen short in terms of the commandments, one of the areas that I fall short in is in terms of, of faith. My faith is not always as strong and steadfast and unmovable as it should be. I fall short there. But thank God, thank God, even though my faith is not yet perfect, 
doesn't mean that God cannot still do some things with my small and imperfect faith. Because one of the things Jesus said was, listen, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can actually say to that mountain over there, remove and it will obey you. A mustard seed? Do you know the size of a mustard seed? If I remember correctly, it's one of, it was one of the smallest types of seeds ever back then. So Jesus looked at something that is so, so, so tiny and says, even if your faith is so little, you can say to the mountain? Here's another lesson that I need to learn, and I believe you and I need to carry away from this story. We admit our faith falls short, and, and that's a reality, and that's why we'll always need Jesus, because our faith is always going to need some help. But here is another wonderful truth from this story. I do not and I should not and you should not wait for your faith to be fully developed to start using whatever little faith you have. Because Jesus says, even if you use faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, God can still do great things through you. That's the point when Jesus said, you can say that I'm bound to be moved. He's saying, even though your faith is like a mustard seed, it's not yet fully developed. It's small in comparison to what it should be. Yet, God can and God will do awesome things. God will, God is able to solve big problems through you, even though the faith you have is not yet perfect. God is able to meet gigantic needs through you, even though your faith is not yet perfect. God is able to solve great problems through you. God is able to use you to make a huge difference even when your faith is not fully developed. How many of you can bear witness to that? In spite of my faith problem, I've seen God do some tremendous things. Oh, I know I'm not the only one. I see some of you clapping. That means you agree. In spite of your faith problem, you've seen God work through you to do some awesome things. You've seen God answer some prayers that amaze you. You've seen God work some miracles that amaze you. You've seen God solve some problems that amaze you. You've seen God make you a blessing that you were surprised. You mean God used me and did this much? You mean God used me to make such a difference? You mean God used me to solve this problem? You, you, you mean God used me to bring healing and deliverance and solution? With my little faith, God did all of this? Come on, say hallelujah. So, yeah, we're honest. We admit the faith we have needs to grow. The faith we have is not yet perfect. The faith we have is far from what it needs to be. But we also acknowledge that if we're willing to use just the little faith we have or the big faith we have, depending upon what situation we find ourselves in, God is able, willing, and ready to do some awesome things through us. So let me encourage you. Don't allow the littleness of your faith or the imperfection of your faith 
to keep you from using the faith that you have. Because God can do some awesome things with people who are willing to take action and take steps even when they are not absolutely, completely sure, settled in their minds. Wow. Just look around us and see what God has been able to do with the little faith we have. And he's not done yet. Thank God he's not waiting for our faith to be perfect. Thank God for whatever faith we do have. If we're willing to take that faith and use it, he'll do awesome things. Be ultimately, hear me, ultimately what's most important is not the size of my faith, but the size of my God. I said, ultimately what's important is not the size of my faith, but the size of my God. Ultimately what's important is not the size of my faith, but the goodness of my God. Ultimately what's important is not the size of my faith, but the faithfulness of my God. Because the Bible says, if we deny him, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. I'm telling you, he will not deny himself in your life. He is faithful, and he's going to remain faithful even when you are unfaithful. He remains faithful. Someone say amen. amen. Someone say hallelujah. Someone say, Lord, I'm so glad even when I'm unfaithful, you remain faithful. He remains faithful to himself. He remains faithful to his word. He remains faithful to his purpose. He remains faithful to his father. And he remains faithful to us because he loves us. He will not deny himself. So in spite of the imperfection of our faith, all of us who have dared to use what little faith we did have can testify we've seen God answer some big prayers. Big mountains have moved when we have prayed. Or when we have spoken to our mountains. Hallelujah. One, let's admit it. None of us has faith that is fully developed and perfect yet. The only one who has perfect faith is Jesus. Two, don't wait until your faith is perfect. Use what you have. Because God will do some awesome things through your imperfect faith. And here's the third point. Here's the main point. If you have a problem with unbelief, if your faith is not complete, if your faith is not fully developed, and as a result of you not having a fully developed faith, you're missing out on God's best because certain mountains haven't moved, certain problems haven't been solved, the joy of the Lord, you're not experiencing it. Whatever it is that is Limiting your experiences of God's goodness and favor. Hear me. Jesus is the solution to the unbelief problem. Jesus is the solution to my lack of faith. Bishop, where do you get that from? I got that from the text and that from elsewhere. Where do you get it from the text? Listen to me. Didn't the father say to Jesus, help my unbelief? He had a problem. 
But where did he bring the problem? To Jesus. He had a problem called unbelief. Where did he bring it to? To the one who can fix the unbelief problem. Listen, if you have a problem with your teeth, where do you go? If you have a problem with your car, where do you go? If you have a problem with your toilet, where do you go? Well, if you have a problem with your faith, who should you go to? Amen. Who should you go to to fix the faith problem? So if I need 100 ounces of faith, and this is just for illustration, and I only got 10 ounces, but I need 90, where do I go to? I have to go to the one who has the 90. I have to go to the one who can solve the faith problem. And here's the good news. Jesus is not just a soul saver. He's not just a body healer. Someone said he's a heart fixer. And he's a mind regulator. Say hallelujah. Say Jesus, you are a heart fixer. You are a mind regulator. And I've come to tell you today, he is a faith perfecter. You see, we used to think, if my faith isn't what it needs to be, I need to go try to work on my faith before I can come to Jesus and expect Jesus to help me. I've discovered, no. If I have a problem with my faith, then I need to go to him because he is the one who perfects faith. He's the one who brings faith to maturity. He's the one who is the solution to my faith problem. This father set an example for us. Come to Jesus to fix and complete what you lack when it comes to faith. So here's the third point. Here's the main point. Since Jesus is the one who fixes, fixes faith, if you have acknowledged you have a faith problem, bring that faith problem to Jesus. Let me say it this way. God has only one solution to every problem. And what is the solution? Jesus. God has only one solution to every problem. To every problem, he sends Jesus. And in Jesus is the solution to every problem. God has only one way to solve all our problems. He sends Jesus. He sent Jesus to die for us on the cross. He sends Jesus to rise again for us, as us. He sends Jesus to live in us, for us, as us. God has only one solution. It's Jesus. How did God solve your righteousness problem? He sent you to Jesus. And what did God do? He put Jesus in you. And then made everything that is Jesus yours. So you didn't have any righteousness, right? You had a righteousness problem. How did God solve it? 
He put Jesus in you, and then all of a sudden, the righteousness of Christ became yours. As far as God concerned, he who knew no sin became sin for you, that you may become the righteousness. So we all lack righteousness. God's solution was, I'm going to send Jesus. Jesus is going to die for you. All your sins are going to be forgiven. Jesus is not only going to die for you. Jesus is going to die as you so that you are going to be the one in him who died, which means the, 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 the sin problem is solved. Then I'm going to send Jesus to live in you, but not just to live in you. He's going to live as you, and everything that is in him now becomes yours. So his righteousness is now my righteousness. That's why I can stand before God and say, I am the righteous of God in Christ. Why? Christ now lives in me, and therefore his righteousness is now working in me. That's why I can say now I, I have the wisdom of God. How? Jesus is in me. Therefore his wisdom is now in me, my wisdom. And guess what? In the same way, Jesus has come to live in me, and now his perfect faith is working for me, in me, through me, and as me. He said, but Bishop, I don't feel it. Yeah, you don't feel it because your faith is imperfect. But his faith is perfect. So you don't need to feel it. It's not your faith. So I can, be, I can be wavering up here, and all I got to remind myself, yeah, I'm wavering up here. That's why I came to Jesus for help. Because while I'm doing this with my own faith, his faith is working in me. But I don't feel it. You're not supposed to feel it. It's faith. Are you hearing me? So I'm feeling all of this. I'm feeling all of this. And I remind myself, oh, but he is now inside of me. His righteousness is working in me. His love is working in me. His perfect faith is now working in me. His faith is moving mountains through me. His faith is healing the sick through me. His faith is getting wonderful answers to prayer on my behalf. His faith is pleasing God. His faith, you can add and keep adding to that. Because now that Christ lives in me, just like his righteousness is now credited to me, his faith, his perfect faith is now credited to me. My job now is simply to remind myself that that is the case. And the more I'm struggling with doubt in my head, the more I need to be reminding myself, oh, thank God. Is no longer dependent upon my imperfect faith now. Jesus, his faith is now working in me and for me. You say, Bishop, prove that. All right. Since you want me to prove it, let me do that. What does Philippians 4.13 say? My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. How? By who? Through Christ Jesus, right? So according to that verse, all of our needs. But wait a minute. All of us said we needed faith. 
Is it all my needs excluding my need for faith? Or does it include my need for faith? My goodness, if God met every other need through Jesus and didn't meet my need for faith, I'm, I'm still in a very, very pathetic and pitiful situation because my most important need is my need for faith because if the need of faith is met, every other thing gets met. So according to Philippians 4.13, I told you earlier, God has one way to solve every problem. He supplies all our needs out through Christ Jesus. Or you can literally say this way, my God shall supply all your needs for faith through your union with Jesus. Because that's what it means by Christ Jesus. It's through your union with him. His death for you, his resurrection for you, his life in you, his life for you, his life through you, you in him, he in you, union. God supplies all of my needs in court, and in, 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 in particular, my most important need, which is the need for Feha. Not through me struggling, but through my union with Christ, through my oneness with Jesus, God is meeting my need for perfect faith. God is completing for me what I lack in the same way that he supplied my righteousness through Christ. He supplies my need for faith faith, perfect faith, through my union with Christ. So that my own faith is not generated, my perfect faith is not generated by me. My perfect faith is a gift from God through Christ and is accomplished through union. Say Selah. I know you sound, you look like you're sad. But that is really good news. Because I'm saying you no longer have to struggle or worry about the size of your faith. What you need to receive is a revelation that no matter the size of your own faith, his faith now completes for you what you don't have in yourself. If you have 10 ounces and you need 100 ounces, if I supply 90, you now have 100. But when it comes to Jesus, he doesn't just supply 90. He supplies all of his faith, which is always more than enough. So this is what Paul was thinking about when Paul said, our sufficiency is of God. When it comes to our faith, our sufficiency is of God. God makes our faith sufficient. How? By putting Jesus in us and crediting Jesus' faith to us. Okay, you're still not convinced. So let me show you one more scripture. Maybe this will convince you. Go to Galatians 2.20. Hallelujah. Galatians 2.20. Are you ready? Now, this is Paul speaking. All right? Go ahead and use the King James because the King James Version is more literal. Would you do the King James, please? Hallelujah. And when, you, when she gets to the King James, you'll see it's actually this. There it is. Let's read it together. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You see the inclusion, the oneness? Okay? So Paul said, I'm living. And he says, 
yet not I, but Christ is living in me. That's the mystery of the gospel, Christ in us. That's God's solution to every problem. That's how God meets every need. Christ in me, union, 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 oneness. He puts his son in me, he puts me his son, and then everything that becomes that is the son automatically becomes mine. So that the faith that is in the son is now in me. Oh my goodness. Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in this body. What kind of life was Paul living? A life of victory. Paul was living a life of triumph, a triumph, triumphant life over sin, a triumphant life over the devil, a triumphant life of life over disease, a triumphant life over fear, a triumphant life over the world, the flesh and the devil, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, whatever you call it, devils, demons, principalities. Paul was living a life of triumph, not a life without trial, but a life of triumph. And he says, I'm living this life of more than a conqueror. And this is how I'm doing it. By, everybody say it, by the faith of the Son of God. Many of your translations will have in, but the literal Greek is a genitive subjective case. And it means by the faith of the Son of God, meaning I'm living by the faith that belongs to Jesus. If I told you this is the iPad of Bishop Johnson, you know that this iPad belongs to Bishop Johnson. If I take the iPad of Bishop Johnson and give it to Alfred, Alfred will begin using the iPad of Bishop Johnson. You got an iPad? But that iPad is old. This one is brand new. So I, 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 Alfred has already begun to experience some limitations with our iPad, I assure you. That iPad is not perfect anymore. It's too slow. Something wrong with it. So guess what? I just got this one. Someone just blessed me with it. So if I gave this down to Alfred and he took it, he has a choice. He can still try to operate with his old iPad and it keep crashing on him or whatever he's doing right now. <laughs> or he can take this new one. And say, you know what? I am now using the iPad of Bishop Johnson. So I'm no longer relying on my old iPad because that one, uh uh-uh. I got a perfect one. It belongs to Bishop, but Bishop has given it to me for me to use as I will. No, I'm giving it to you. (laughs) So now, whenever he wants to do something that requires an iPad, he doesn't have to depend upon his old. He can acknowledge that old iPad ain't perfect. It will, it, will, it will lose my stuff. It will, whatever. The battery now runs down too quickly. I'm prophesying. <laughs> That's the word of knowledge, brother. <laughs> but he can say, you know what? I no longer have to depend upon that because I got this one. It's the iPad of Bishop Johnson. And it's new. It works perfectly. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I no longer depend upon my own faith. I've discovered that in Christ, I can actually depend on, utilize, rely on the faith of Christ for every spiritual blessing. Most importantly, the first one, which is justification. So by the faith of Jesus, I have been made righteous. So what does that mean? It means Jesus used his faith. 
to make you and me righteous. How many of you knew it took faith for Jesus to become man and come on earth? It took faith for Jesus to say, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. It took faith for him to say, on the third day, I'm going to rise. It takes faith for him to say, if you believe in me, you will live. It takes faith for him to say, I am the resurrection of life. It took faith for Jesus to obey God perfectly. But because his faith was perfect, he obeyed God perfectly. And as a result of his perfect obedience, we all are made righteous. So we are righteous, holy, and acceptable because by the faith of Jesus, by Jesus using his perfect faith, which we did not have, he acquired, he received the promise of justification on our behalf. And by coming to live in us, he's made that righteousness not ours. He did it all by his faith. And Paul is saying, that's how I'm living now. In other words, I'm living this life by placing my faith in the faith, the sufficiency, the perfection of the faith of Jesus Christ. My own faith is not perfect, but I got faith in the perfect faith of Jesus. My faith is small, but this little small faith I had, you know what I'm doing? I'm putting this small faith in his perfect faith. And instead of having to believe God for this miracle, I, all I got to do now is believe that Jesus by his faith and his obedience already received the miracle in my name for me. All I got to believe now is that the faith of Christ which is perfect was actually used on my behalf. To obtain the promises. Now you understand why Paul says in Corinthians, all the promises of God. No, oh, I'm sorry. I keep, I, I, I neglect this side too much. If you want attention, you got to sit over. I don't know why I prefer my right to, my, oh, I see. Jesus said all those on the right will go to heaven. All those on the left, you see, that's the problem. You're on the wrong side. <laughs> or maybe you are not using your faith enough because it look like they keep pulling me on this side. So you guys got to use your faith to pull me on this side. Amen? What was I saying? Hey, my people, what, what, what was I saying? Yeah, all the promises of God. Uh, yes, it means every promise has been fulfilled. God is not waiting to fulfill any promise. Every promise God made to the righteous man has been fulfilled. How? Because Jesus met the condition of perfect faith and perfect obedience. And he did so as us, for us. So he was meeting those conditions for us. And so since Jesus met the conditions of faith and of obedience, God has released every promise he made to us in Christ Jesus. So every promise is already fulfilled. So I no longer need to use my faith to believe God for the fulfillment of a promise. I need to use the little faith I have to believe that Jesus, by his great faith, has already secured the promise. By his faith and obedience, I have already been blessed. By his faith and obedience, I've already received the promise of righteousness. By his faith and obedience, I've already received the, pro the promise of healing. By his faith and obedience, I've already received the pro promise of wisdom. By his faith and obedience, I've already received the promises of, of, of more than a conqueror. By his faith and obedience, he met the conditions to follow me. Now... Everything he did was for me. So my little faith or my big faith, depending upon what happened, because it changes from day to day, is anchored now in his perfect faith. And now his perfect faith is working for me.
So when the devil comes to you and say, you're not going to receive because you're wavering. Your faith is not strong. Say, you know what? I, I knew my faith was not perfect a long time. That's why I'm not placing my faith in my faith. Oh, I can't. Hallelujah. I got this faith, big or small, but I know it's not perfect. So I am placing this faith and anchoring it in the faith of Jesus. And I'm declaring my confidence that I have received that this is already mine because I know that by the faith and obedience of Christ, this was already secured for me. Now it's easy when you pray to believe you have received. Because you say, oh, you know what I received? Not because of my faith. I received because Christ received it. By his faith and obedience for me. So yeah, I received my healing. Huh? Uh, because my faith in healing is strong? No, because his faith in healing was perfect. And he asked me for me, received it for me. And so I'm just going to keep acknowledging it. And the Bible says, then our little faith becomes effectual. While we acknowledge every good thing that is in Christ. So when I'm acknowledging Jesus by your faith and obedience, you already did this. You already secured this. I acknowledge it. By your faith and obedience, I'm already blessed. By your faith and obedience, you've already secured my healing. Thank you. By your faith and obedience, you've already received my breakthrough. By your faith and obedience, you've already obtained favor with God for me. By your faith and obedience, you've already qualified me for this thing that God... You, you follow what I'm saying? So when you turn to Jesus, because you all, when you come to Jesus for help, with your faith, this is how he helps you. He basically puts you in him, puts himself in you, and then credits you with everything that is his. It literally becomes yours. And now your job and my job is just to act and talk like it's true. Even when, or especially when your mind is messing with you, especially when you're not feeling it, that's more the point to say, you know what, I'm so glad this isn't based on my faith. I'm so glad this is based upon his perfect faith. And his faith is steadfast and sufficient. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you a secret. When your faith is in his faith, that in God's sight is great faith. When we take our little faith, small faith, and we place it in his perfect faith, all of a sudden, God sees us exercising great faith. Because that's why God calls great faith. Faith in the sufficiency of Christ is great faith. Faith in the finished work of Christ, great faith. Faith in the faith of Jesus, great faith. Faith in the righteousness of Christ, great faith. When I see his grace, he sees my faith. And the more I see his grace, the greater is the faith he sees in me. Say, thank God for Jesus. One more time, thank God for Jesus. He actually is the solution to my faith problem. I never again have to worry about whether my faith is big or small. I just need to remind myself, his faith is always big, always sufficient, 
always more than enough. And he's already used that faith and met every condition on my behalf, asked me for me, so that as far as the Father is concerned, the promises are already fulfilled. And all I need to be saying is amen. All right. So Paul said, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Really, this is what he's saying. The life that you see me living, I'm living it by putting my faith in the faith of the Son of God. I live this life every day by putting my faith in the faithfulness of the Son of God. Because that word can be translated both ways. So Paul said, this is how I live this life of victory over sin, Satan, the world, the flesh, the devil, sickness, everything. This is how I live it. This is how I overcome depression. This is how I overcome all of this stuff. I do so by consciously taking my faith, big or small, and placing it in the sufficiency of his faith. And I keep reminding myself that his faith and his faithfulness are sufficient. Serious of Jesus, your faith and your faithfulness are always sufficient for me. Oh, let me, let me help you a little bit more because this helps me. I'm just sharing with you what helps me because I told you I got a problem with unbelief, right? So here's something else that, 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 that helps me. From time to time I say, no matter how big is my unbelief, it's not big enough to overcome his faith. So sometimes you unbelief, you, you're big, but you are not big enough to overcome the faith of Jesus. When you and the faith of Jesus meet, the faith of Jesus overcomes you. Come on, say that. Jesus, your faith is stronger, bigger, more powerful than any unbelief. And your faith overcomes unbelief in my life. So Paul said, I'm living it by putting my faith. Always I put my faith. Always I remind myself that it's not my faith, but it's by his faith that I am blessed. I'm healed. I'm delivered. I have my breakthrough. It's by his faith. And whenever I'm concerned about whether I will get through this, I remind myself it's by his faith. And his faith is perfect. His faith moves mountains. His faith gets answers to prayer. His faith gets breakthrough. His faith always pleases God. His faith will motivate me to do works of love. His faith is working in my life. And I'm relying on his sufficiency. Let me end with this and now I'm done. Go to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Talking about Jesus. I told you he is the solution to every problem including the faith problem. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2, please. I'm mean, Hebrews 12, verse 2. Let's read it together. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The new, one New American Standard trans, Translation says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Look at that. He's the what? Perfecter of faith. 
So if, my, if I'm having trouble with my faith, who do I go to? What does he do? He perfects it. Another translation says he is the completer of faith. So whatever is lacking, he completes. That means if I'm hooked up to Jesus, I'm always going to have more faith than I need. So I no longer have a faith problem when I, once I get the revelation that he completes what's lacking. He perfects our faith. How does he perfect your faith? Through your union with him. He perfects it through his union with us. Father, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will open my eyes and open the eyes of your people more. That we might truly see the sufficiency of his faith. And that his faith is now working in me to accomplish God's purpose and will. Help us to see that where our faith is lacking, we can rely on his faith for sufficiency. Remind us, Holy Spirit, all the time that God supplies our need for faith through our union with Christ and that in him we're complete. When we doubt our own faith, remind us that his faith is perfect. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for miracles, for signs, and for wonders. In Jesus' name. And so we're going to do, we're going to do.